0: May I be seated? I invite you once again to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 2, as we continue on from where we left off this morning in this several week study as we have been in from chapter 2 verse 1 through to verse 7. This evening we will press on into the verse 8, God willing, but just before we come to the study of God's word, may we come before him and ask him to guide us in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we meet here freely tonight. I praise you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who have gathered, Father, because they want your word to be center of their life. They want your glory, Father, to be center of their being. And, Father, we glorify you through the study of your word, Father, so that we can better understand whom it is that you are and whom it is that we are, to understand saving faith, to understand grace and mercy undeserved. And we thank you for this text, as rich as it is, Father, as we have spent these several weeks, Lord, unpacking. We pray tonight, Father, that you once again help us to understand the truth and the meaning and application of this word. We ask, Lord, tonight that you help us through the only means that we have available to us the Holy Spirit to help us, Father God, work our way through this passage, to give us, Lord, the ability to take in the truth and the knowledge of your word, and that we may leave this place, Lord, not puffed up from a better understanding of this text, but may be humbled, Lord, by the meaning of it, and may we worship you, Father, in the true and ultimate manner that we are called to. Father, we give you this night, we give you, ourselves now, Father, may you speak to us individually as we collect together here on your day to study your word. Father, we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been spending quite a bit of time just in this brief passage, and for many of us it's good to once again take an overview of where we are with regards to this text and to remember that this is a letter that has been written by Paul to Timothy in Ephesus. Chapter 1, we, we journeyed through all the major problems as an introduction to why Timothy is being charged by Paul to go to uh, the church in Ephesus and be able to once again bring the eldership and the teachers and the shepherds to accountability how there was a misrepresentation of the gospel coming in, the Judaizers were coming in, women were trying to take over the church. There was many, many defilements that were going on with regards to the church, and one of the most of those defilements was the fact that they did not believe that the gospel was indeed for all peoples. It was to remain within those who are and who were God's people, the Jews. As we've seen Paul's first Demand or Paul's first urge to Timothy is to pray. And we looked at from chapter 2 verse 1 that this is the first thing that the church is called to do with regards to evangelism. It is evangelistic prayer. And we'll read again through it. And this evening what I want to do is just finish off this section of chapter 2 but I want to go back through it to get an overview because we have spent a lot of time, particularly this morning and last week specifically looking in at the nuances of verse 4. So we'll read down through it together and hopefully once again unpack and understand the necessity for prayer. So he says, first of all then, in light of everything that has been said in chapter 1, I urge, and that word urge is very strong, it's nearly to the point of a command. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made. Now he lists there several ways in which to pray. They're not an exhaustive list, they're not an exclusive list, but he's simply pointing out that all types of prayers are to be made on behalf of all people. And that it is through prayer and the understanding of God's sovereign hand that we've looked at that prayer is going to bring about change within this church. If Timothy simply thinks that it is through his calling by God or simply through the commissioning of Timothy, or sorry, Paul, that Timothy's going to be able to make change, he fools himself. It does not matter the depths of his theology. It does not matter the depths of his knowledge. It only matters whether or not God is going to soften the hearts of those people within the church to see the need for correction. So he urges him, supplications, prayers, and intercessions be made for all people. And that's very important. It's important even for us today that we understand that no one is too far gone. It doesn't matter how defiled the sin and all people are to be prayed for. That is inclusive of those who wrong us. Inclusive of those who are our enemies. Inclusive of those who society may deem to be the worst kind of sinner. We can all think of those kinds of sins in our own mind's eye and our own hearts. But yet we're called to pray for those individuals that they would come to the knowledge of truth and repent. For in God's eyes we are no different to any of the shameful acts of sin that we see being carried out by anyone or of any uh, any aspect of mankind. So therefore we're called to pray for all people. And he lists specifically for kings... And all who are in high positions. And we looked at that whenever we unpacked this portion of Scripture for this uh, aspect of what Paul is saying here to Timothy. For Kings was speaking of Nero. And we looked at before this major persecutor of the church. And what Paul is saying is that you need to be praying for all kinds of leaders all kinds of dictators, all kinds of people throughout the world that they would come to repentance. For us today, the closest thing we might see to that would be Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Do we pray for him in the fact that the gospel still isn't able to penetrate into that nation? Do we, do we lift him up in prayer? Do we ask for the blessings of the Lord to fall upon him and to change his heart, and to change his inclination, and to change his mind and lead him to ultimate repentance? Not only for him, but for Theresa May in our case, for Donald Trump, for the DUP leaders, for the Sinn Féin leaders, for all leaders everywhere. This is an all-inclusive point of view. When we come to pray and we ask ourselves, well, I'm not sure what to pray for. We're commissioned, we're called, we're urged by Paul through Timothy in this text and others that we have to pray for salvation. We have to pray for the gospel to move, the gospel to penetrate. The gospel to expand beyond even our borders, and we do that by praying for all peoples, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, and He gives us here a reason for doing it. If we're praying for kings and praying for prime ministers and praying for the dictators and the emperors and and the princes and whatever other words you want to throw in there, the result is in an atmosphere that is actually beneficial for the gospel. We will be able to lead a life that is peaceful, a quiet life, a godly life and a dignified life in every way. It is the reality for those who belong to a Christian nation. We have freedom, even this evening, to meet in this church. We do not face any sort of a persecution. And yet we understand that China has had several churches, the biggest churches in China over the past year, demolished and destroyed by the government. They do not want the gospel to keep moving through China. So all the more we need to be praying for the leaders of China. That they would be softened. That their hearts would be inclined to understand the truth of the gospel. This is how you're going to see change in the global aspect. And this is how we're going to see change. Timothy, according to Paul, in the local aspect through the local church. If you want to see change in eldership, change in leadership, you pray for it. We even think of that with even the churches within Armagh. If we see any church including ourselves, coming away or sidestepping in any shape or form the truth of God's word. We don't blaspheme it or we don't gossip against it, we don't slander against it, we pray for it. We pray for the churches to understand the true meaning of scripture, the true meaning of the gospel and we pray for those who have been so called or maybe called in their leadership that they would either step down or that God would change them. This is how we see change take about. So we may need a dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Saviour. This is how we please our Father in heaven. This is how we please God, through prayer for the lost, through uh, uh, evangelistic prayer. And he goes on, verse 4, and says, Who desires all people to be saved. This is a God who desires all the people to be saved. Therefore pray for them and to come to an understanding and the knowledge of truth. In verse 5, there, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now he puts in here something very, very important for us to always remember. He puts the gospel in. Paul sets this in at the end of why we should pray, the need for prayer, and stipulates the reason for it. And the reason for it is because we are people who believe in one God. I just want to look at that real briefly to understand what that means for us. So if you're going, we're going to turn around a little bit this evening, not a lot, but if you turn back to the book of Isaiah, and we'll look at Isaiah chapter 45, sorry, no, 43, 44. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, And his Redeemer, the Lord of Hosts. I am the first, I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it, let him declare and set it before me. God makes it clear that He is one God. We call that term. Uh, monotheism. In other words, we believe in one God as opposed to polytheism as others who believe in many gods. And the reason why Paul cites that here whenever he says, for there is one God, is because there's only one hope. If there is but only one God, and there is but only one mediator, Christ Jesus, then that means that there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to redemption, and that is through the belief in Christ alone for salvation alone. We also see that echoed in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verse 29. We understand this as the great commandment as one of the scribes comes up and asks the question which is the most important commandment and jesus's answer in verse 29 of chapter 12 is jesus answered the most important is Hear, O israel the lord our god the lord is one and you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength there is but one god he is one We read this too in Romans chapter three, verse twenty nine, for, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one. Again and again, throughout Scripture, we we see this over and over and over again. I'll I'll just read you another text, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that idols has no real existence. And that there is no God but one. For although they may be so called gods in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things exist, and for whom we exist, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again and again and again we can point to many scriptures pointing to the reality that the world denies. The reality that there is one way, the reality that Paul cites here, if there is indeed only one God and there is indeed only one mediator, we must pray all the more earnestly. For there is too many people in the world today that are bowing down to other gods, who are praying to other gods, who are sacrificing to other gods that are no gods at all. We looked at it briefly this morning as the prophet Isaiah said, how can it be that you take the wood from the same tree and burn it in the fire and from the very same tree carve an image and worship it? It is madness. It is the exclusivity of the gospel that demands prayer for the lost. Evangelistic prayer has to come from the reality that there is only but one way to heaven. There is only but one way for those whom are far off from Christ to be saved. And that is through the proclamation of the gospel. That is why we read in Romans 10 that how blessed are the feet that bring the good news. He says we must pray. He urges us to pray because there's only one God and he demands that our sins be atoned for He demands that that we have only one mediator who is Christ. He demands that we believe and have faith in Christ alone. This is massively disputed today. This idea of one way. This idea of the exclusivity of the gospel. Many want to say, but there's many ways to, to heaven. There is Buddha, there is Allah, there is all the gods of Hinduism. And we read here, plain and simply, it is a lie. There is one God and therefore it is the same God over the Jews, the same God over the Gentiles, the same God over the Aborigines or the deepest, darkest tribes of the forests around and the jungles around the world. God is the only one that exists. And also, and there is only one mediator. For us in Northern Ireland, we know this all too well. We understand that Christ Jesus is our High Priest. We had time this evening. We go into Hebrews, and we can read about Christ as our, as the new High Priest, as our Mediator between us and God the Father alone. And Paul here cites it. Why do we pray? Because there is no way to get to God except through Jesus. As we read this morning, no one can come to the Father or come to me unless the Father draws him. It is Christ who is the Mediator, not Mary, as many of our friends believe. You can come to God through the prayers to Mary or through the prayers of other saints. There is only one way and that is through faith alone in Christ alone. Paul cites here the necessity of evangelistic prayer. For there is but one God and there is but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This is a text that we should bring to brothers and sisters within the Roman Catholic Church. To show them the folly in believing that Mary has any power. Mary is, is a woman who we understand is in the scriptures. We acknowledge that fact. We love the faithfulness of Mary. But Mary is not our mediator. Nor is a priest. Nor is a pastor. Nor is any man or any woman. It is Christ and Christ alone. Therefore pray. For the Judaizers that were coming in to the church at Ephesus, pray Timothy. For the false shepherds who are there simply for gain and want, pray. For those who are telling individuals that they truly are saved when they are not, pray. For those that say you have to be circumcised and that is the only way to come to the Father, pray. There's only one way and that is faith alone in Christ. Alone. Verse six. After this, he then gives... The the reason for this mediator, the reason for the prayers to the one God is because who gave himself as a ransom for all. He spells it again. This is all. It is for anyone who is far off. There is no one who is outside of the gospel. Anyone can have saving faith. Do not believe, Timothy, what they are saying in this church, that it is exclusively for a select people within the, the uh, Judaizers or within the Jewish people. It is for all mankind everywhere. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation can come to save in faith mm-hmm. through the proclamation of the gospel. And when it says there, who gave himself as a ransom, we have to understand that word ransom. Sometimes that escapes us. This is talking about the penal substitutionary atonement. This is a ransom that is stronger than simply paying a debt. This is a ransom that can only be paid by a substitution. It means that for us who should be put to death, Christ himself to set us free had to go into our stead. He had to pick up our chains, pick up our shackles and go into the place in which we were. It would be the equivalent if I had... Somebody as a prisoner, as a hostage, and you wanted them to set free, then you would have to become my prisoner and my hostage. No payment would be enough. No amount of of giving would be enough. Christ did not give his material possessions. Christ did not give anything outside of himself. It was a costly ransom. Therefore, pray in earnest Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This is the reality of it's always been about the, the ransom of Christ. Even the cross reaches into the Old Testament. The faith alone of the saints of the Old Testament were saved through faith of the cross that was to come. Abraham's righteousness was counted to him by faith. Not understanding the faith in Christ, but still faith in the atonement and the sacrificial atonement of Christ for all the saints of the past and all the saints of the future. Who give himself freely, joyfully as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher, and apostle. He then emphasizes the point of this. He's pointing here all people. Pray for all people, everywhere, kings, people in high positions. No one is to be left out. We pray, we pray, we give thanksgiving, we give intercessions, we give supplications and we pray. This is the importance of the church. The power driving force of the church to spread the gospel outside of these walls, outside of the boundaries of our country and throughout the entire world is through prayer. We've heard it said with anyone who is a missionary, whenever they come normally to speak, they would say, if you can't come, pray. And for some reason we have lost the weediness of this. Paul could have said many things here for Timothy to do first, but he starts with the only thing that matters. It is our prayers that come before the Lord who hears these prayers and acts upon these prayers to fulfill his sovereign will. And when he says, for this I was appointed a preacher and apostle, he simply says, if this was not true, if the gospel was not for all people, if the gospel was not for the Gentiles also, then what am I doing? What is the point on everything that I'm doing, the imprisonments, the lashes, the beatings, the stonings, the shipwrecks, the cold nights, everything that I face, it would all be for nothing if it was simply the gospel and the sacrifice of Christ was only for the Jews. For all people. To emphasize it even further. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. You have to understand this. Timothy and the readers of this letter. That it is for all peoples. A teacher of the Gentiles. In faith and truth. And he goes on. In verse 8. I desire then. that this is important. He's just stipulated the reasons why we should pray. He's emphasised the point of the first thing that you do when you want to see radical change within a church or radical change through a people or nation. It starts with prayer and prayer alone. Prayer is our divine way to see God's hand move. And he says, I desire then in light of this, that in every place the men should pray. Now this is where Paul is going to change up the text and we're going to get into it next week. He's going to start to define the roles within the church, the biblical roles in the church of men and women. Now it's important here what he says, I desire then in every place. If we had time tonight we could take that every place and we could see that every time that word is used, every place is talking about the gathering of the church, the ecclesia in every place, in every congregation of the local church gathering, I desire then, because of this, in every place the men should pray. Why? Because this is God's way. In every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. He starts here with what we see in every church. Man-centeredness coming in, to the church as opposed to Christ-centeredness. The pride of man coming in instead of the humility of every man before our mediator and high priest, Christ. He desires that the men come together in every church gathering that they should pray, lifting holy hands. What does that mean? Now, many throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament we see this depicted out. We see whenever Christ ascended he lifted up his hands and he prayed. We see it in Acts. we see it right throughout the Old Testament time and time again whenever we see men of God lifting up hands and praying. But I don't believe nor does any of the theologians or those who understand these, these texts see this as a prerequisite of how exactly we're meant to pray. If you want to pray with hands lifted up, that is fine. But he's not saying here, whenever he says, lifting up, lifting holy hands. What he's talking about here is holy hands, righteous hands, clean hands, hands that are submissive to the Lord. Hands that understand God's word. Hands that have been given over to be God's hands. I desire that men who are righteous, men who are holy, how are we righteous, how are we holy? Through the penal substitutionary death of Christ. Those who have believed the gospel truth. Those who have been humbled by the gospel. Those who have come in submission to Christ as mediator, king and saviour. Those who understand the calling of which it is to be a man who is a leader of their home and then ultimately maybe one day a leader of the church. He's going to start citing what it is to be a man who can have holy hands. It is not through works. It is through faith. Therefore, he desires that the true men of God, the true men of faith, get together when the church comes together and they pray. This man is not talking about an exclusive term that we see sometimes in the Bible where we substitute man for peoples. This is the males. This is the men. This is not women. That the men lift holy hands without anger and quarrelling. As I said, this is the press that Paul gives. What is going to kill the church, what is going to kill our prayers, is man-centredness, arguing over doctrinal tiny tidbits. Arguing about things amongst ourselves. Missing the global impact that we're called as and through the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. We should be busying ourselves with our own, our own holiness, our own righteousness, through the prayers and supplications for each other, the study of God's word and the submitting to his commandments. Rather than being puffed up and wanting to debate and argue tiny little things. I desire then in every place the men should pray with holy hands, without anger or quarrelling. And he goes in then to say likewise also that women should adorn that women <clears throat> that also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, self-control, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly attire. And we're going to go into that next week. But he cites this here because this was the problem within the church and it's the same problem within the church today when men get together there's normally the problem is that pride gets in anger gets in quarreling gets in but this evening what I hope we come away with from an overview as we come through this text as we close off this portion leading us into what he's going to say with regards to the women's roles in the church we see that it is everyone's role in the church to pray we have to understand here that term is very important. Whenever he says that a desire in every place that men should pray, this is not saying that women cannot pray. This is simply saying when men are in the, when the church story comes together, it is the men who lead and the men who pray. Whenever you're in your homes, whenever you're in small groups, even whenever we're in a prayer gathering outside of the official gathering of the church, yes, women can pray. We could turn to passages of scripture that cites even when a woman is depressed, she's to cover her head in many other terms, but over and over and over again we're going to see through this text and many others that when it comes to the church setting, when it comes to the gathering on Lord's Day for his church, it is the woman's role to be submissive and quiet and learn in all modesty and meekness and gentleness. But also it is for the men to lead. One of the major factors in most Christian homes is women are frustrated with the fact that their men do not lead that their men do not study the word, that their men are not able to teach the word to their children or to sit down with their wives and help them and instruct them and teach them and guide them as Christ does the church it's important to understand the roles, it's also important to understand why so many women feel frustrated today particularly within not only the church but also within the home environment because men will not lead. Men will not live their Bibles. Men will not sit down with their children and pray. Men will not show the Christ-like example that they're called to. They simply want to demand submission even though it's not, worth it, even though it's not merited. So it's a call upon men and it's a call upon women. But hopefully, by God's grace, we will go into those specific roles in more detail next week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we come here this evening to be reminded of the importance of evangelistic prayer, the importance, Father God, of how there is but one means to salvation, and that is through Christ, our High Priest, Mediator, and King and Lord, that brings us into your presence, O Father. Thank you, Lord, for the reality tonight that we can come before you and pray. And Lord, we come before you tonight we pray for the lost in our minds, We pray for those who are still far off from Christ, that you would move, O Lord, that you would open their eyes to their need and the necessity for the gospel. That you would give them the ability, Father God, to see the beauty of your son Christ and the treasure that he is and that they'd be willing to sell all that they have to come and to follow him. We pray, Father, for those who are lost around the world tonight. O Lord, would you have mercy upon them, Father. We know it is not merited, nor is our grace and our mercy merited. But we ask you, Lord, to stretch out your hand once more. And to bring those who are far off from you, Father, to yourself. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you, Lord, for this time this evening. We pray, Father, over the next weeks that we can be truly instructed through your word and your authority alone, not through my ideas or man's ideas, Lord, but through your word. May your word instruct us. May the Holy Spirit convict us. And may we as men and those who are women here this evening, Father, understand our roles and rejoice in them for they are your way, Lord, not ours. We thank you, Father. We want to be a church. That is a church described through your word, not through traditions or not through a man-centeredness, Lord, but through a Christ-centeredness. Father, we ask you to be with us this evening as we leave this place, to bless us, Father, with your presence tomorrow, God willing. And that we, Father, may hunger and thirst for your word. And may we get on our knees, Lord, and pray for those whom we love that are lost and still far off. That you may be glorified in your mercy and grace to bring them out of darkness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We know closing hymn tonight.